Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley, and we are, it is, it is 12 to 2020, and we are going to begin our Bible study. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this hour we have this evening. We pray for wisdom, and we pray for knowledge that will help us as we navigate the, uh, the world we live in. Father, we pray for this world as well. We pray for those who are affected by the pandemic. We pray for a speedy uh, distribution of the vaccine that has uh, recently been uh, discovered. And we pray for uh, also those who are sick right now with COVID and suffering. Um, and we pray, Father, for believers all over the world, wherever they may be, that we can continue to do the work that is before us, that we will be single-minded and focused on your eternal purpose. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so first off, I want to say, you know we are studying in Romans chapter 8. Today, our focus will be verse 31. We have been making uh, some pretty good strides getting through uh, a lot of these verses in one sitting. Some of them we have to do over two, but uh, this one I think hopefully we can cover. Is a, and you have some notes, and uh, hopefully you can follow along with me as to where we're going and, and some of the documentation that's there. So before we do, we'll pause for about, we're going to take about 10 minutes or so, ten if, just to see if there are any follow-up questions from anything we covered, uh, anything that's on your mind. I will pause to, uh, to open the floor. Okay. I hear silence. Silence is good, sometimes, but silence also says to me that uh, perhaps there are no questions, which is to say, we are headed right into Romans, Romans chapter 8. So that means head to, head to your notes, and uh, we will begin our study of Romans. All right, so Romans 8 and 31. Let's dig in. So what, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So hopefully we want to discover after studying all of what we have, we want to get into this question. And last week I posed this question as something we could think about. We, we're the ones who have gone through Romans in detail, verse by verse, at least Romans 8. And uh, we did want to leave some opportunity for you to answer that question. What do you say in response to these things? Now, of course, you're going to find what Paul says, so no worries, we're going to get to that. But it is my question what do you think in response to these things? And, you know, take some time to 
kind of think about it. And that's exactly what I did in the notes. I did some reminiscing. So we would go back and look at some of the highlights that we have. This is not to review, <laughs> but it almost feels like that. But what Paul is talking about, let's, let's discuss it. Let's talk about it. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to our notes. And what, so the question, what, what then shall we say in response to these things? The first thought is, what things? What things is he talking about? So here's where we need to bring the whole of the context together. This is where we now have to not just look at the verse, but put it together in our minds. And this is what we do when we build uh, concept upon concept. Right? This is the idea. Um, and that, that's, that's what I want to be able to do. I want to be able to put these things together. Right? So there are some things here that are, and I just say, out of this world. Things we should note. And when I read the immediate context, that's what I find. Things that are just so striking, so phenomenal, so fantastic. I'm going to run out of words here. That you, there's, you have to stop and think, well, what do I think about what God has said? I mean, really? He's talking about us? Me? You? We have all of this? This is about us? We have to consider that. So anyway, what I thought to do was go over some of the things. And we don't have to take a whole lot of time. Probably, well, we do need to reminisce, though. If we're going to ask ourselves, what shall we say in response to these things? We've got to talk about these things. So then we can form a response. So the first point is, Really, and this is the first point, really this started at Romans chapter 6, but we will begin in the immediate context. Uh, why do I, I put this as number one, even though uh, really I could go back earlier, but uh, in essence, because we are talking about people who are now in Christ. We're not just talking about people who were saved like in Romans 5 where it says, just as one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and in this way death spread to all. We're, we're not just talking about that being true for those in Christ. So, but when you get down toward 17, 18, and 19, where it actually says, okay, in Adam all die, but in Christ, now he's talking about us. So that's something for us to consider. But you know what? I'm not going to mix that in because... This is beyond salvation. This, what God is beginning to share with us from Romans 6 on, and what we, all the way up to what we have covered, are things that are so far out of the normal scope of what a human being and uh, what was, let's just say, what was previous for human beings and possible for human beings. This is so far out of that scope that now we need to consider what, just what, is God trying to tell us by saying these things to us. And so we need to consider what then shall we say in response to these things. So really it starts back at Romans 6 because Romans 6 began with the baptism of the Spirit. Romans 6, 3, right there. That's what started Paul's thinking about all of the results 
that follow. We're going to deal with those results. So point number two, if we go into Romans 8, and I know if you're driving or whatever your case is, you cannot follow me. I will just quote it for uh, myself here. Romans 8, 14 through 16. So I could have picked up earlier, but this is where I wanted to pick up. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we call, we cry, Abba, Father. So those two verses start Paul's uh, climax, you know, start to build a climax to where we are now. And the first thing he talked about was what was important that we're children of God. Now you might say, oh, well, children of God, the children of Israel. Uh, you know, generally speaking, everybody, every child of God who's saved is a, you know, you could, you could generalize. But in context, that is not what Paul is doing. Because he's talking about the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God, uh, that should hearken you back to the work of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and what differences he made for those who are believers in Christ. <clears throat> so, so children of God is very specific to us. That term is not just, okay, anybody, everybody's a child of God, whoever was a believer. No, this is specific to our age. And that's how we have to begin to see where Paul begins to deal with this thought. So, so the emphasis on the Spirit's integration with our lives through the baptism of the Spirit, and that's in Romans 6.3, right? That's, there's an integration now. Well, just like Christ said in John 14, he will be, he's with you now, but he will be in you. A John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence or from now. So that, that information is an event, right? When the Spirit of truth comes, when he, the Spirit, comes, he's, you know, so there's this, all this expectation about this new uh, ministry that the Holy Spirit would have. That's all wrapped up in that 14 through 16. That's the bit we are now experiencing the results of Pentecost. So uh, this is, I have to say it, this is unprecedented. That means never before seen. And Paul, conti he, he continues in Romans uh, 6 through 8. Even from 6, he starts talking about how we are no longer uh, in Adam anymore. And we're not associated with Adam's fallen nature, and now he has taken you out of that. You know, he, the sin nature no longer rules over you. All of that is unprecedented. That never happened before. Romans 7, he continued on talking about uh, how we could serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And, and, and then into Romans 8, where he continued to talk about the dynamics of the spiritual life and how we walk and, and how we can walk pleasing to God. And so, so these verses are unique to us. There's no other human being on earth that can identify with this. And this is why when I say unprecedented, it's referring to the mystery. And when we talk about the mystery, one thing that you, you should know, or if you haven't, you know, this is a unique designation for Paul to talk about these things 
that God has hid within himself. But you know, there's really no reason for Paul to call it a mystery anymore. There's, there's none. You know why? Because it's revealed. In Paul's day, it was revealed. It, it wasn't hidden anymore. So why all this emphasis in Paul's writings on the mystery? It's because Paul wants to take you back and help you orient to who you are in Christ and, and how significant it is uh, of what God has done in order to bring about this whole integration with our lives and the Spirit and what that makes of us. So Paul continues to talk about the mystery. Oh, surely you, Ephesians 3, 2, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace, which is given me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. So he, he continues to use that word, mysterion, mystery, when he really doesn't have to anymore. And I don't think you, you find it in any other writings. So it's unique to Paul. He's coining this so that we don't forget that we're unique. That there was something special about us. So unprecedented, maybe there should be more words I say because it, it doesn't explain it all. So he continues through Romans 6 to 8 and we get all the way down to point number 3, which is 8.17. So 8.17, I leave all by itself, right? Because 8.17 is a verse that is phenomenal. Let's just think about it. It's a logical conclusion from what he just said in 8.14 and 15, or 14 through 16. It's a logical conclusion. Now, before we get to that, let's look at 16. I don't think we really took that in. It says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So, you know, those verses are making a declaration that we absolutely have a relationship to the Father that is unprecedented, unique, never before seen, and that is courtesy of God the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, which identifies us with the person of Christ, who is a son. So when we get to 17, and that's point number three in our notes, it's a logical conclusion. And we need to make sure we draw logical conclusions when it comes to the way Paul is investigating and teaching us these unprecedented events in our lives. It's logical because you have to stand back and look at this, and what you should be is amazed. It's a conclusion that should say, if you hadn't said it already, you should be making some wow comments to God. We are heirs of God in verse 17. No Nobody in human history is said to be an heir of God. Now, God made uh, Israel heirs of an inheritance, but it was related to things on earth, the land and so forth. But uh, for us, it just says we are heirs of God. That means everything God has, everything God is, we inherit. And what, what are we talking about? We're talking about Roman-style adoption. So it is the greatest distribution of wealth and power that there is. Period. That's what we're talking about. So when, 
when Roman adoption took place, the reason why Roman adoption was uh, a thing is because power was being transferred. Had nothing to do with somebody not having a child and adopting them. It, it had everything to do with power, privilege, and wealth. All the wealth of a nation and the most powerful nation in the world was conferred on someone. And that's what we call, when we're talking about uh, the Roman-style adoption. So it's a logical conclusion, but it, 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 that should amaze you. We are heirs of God, literally. And it, how, how, how do you even understand the, the, the scope of what that is? How do you understand that? Because you, unless you understand who God is, and all that, what he is trying to do in this, you can't possibly understand what it is he's conveyed to us. So then another phrase says, we are co-heirs with Christ if we suffer with him. Another wow statement. Another like, wow, where, uh, where does this come from? That we, now Christ is the Lord and Savior. He's the one who paid for every sin we would ever commit. He is a propitiation for our sins right, to the Father. He's the Messiah to Israel. He's the creator of all things. Right? We are co-heirs, joint heirs with Christ. In other words, we're not just saying, okay, Christ, um, whatever, if I walk in your footsteps, I can receive what you receive from the Father. I am a joint heir. I'm not an heir of Christ. I'm an heir of God. And I'm a, and that's what Christ is. He's inheriting from the Father because of the work that he did while he was here on earth. He, God hath highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name. And you know the verse in Philippians. So this is this is something that should be reserved only for Christ and the, the fantastic work that he did when he was here. But no, God is saying, we are co-heirs. We are. And he says, if we suffer with him. In other words, if we live our lives in this earth, on this earth, and if we all we are asked to do is grow in grace, allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us into all truth. That's all he's asking of us. He's not asking us to pay for the sins of the world, to be uh, put on a cross and, and mocked and, and all those things. Now, there will be suffering for us in this world, and we should endure it, right? But the level of suffering, we should not even compare the level of suffering that we have to undergo with that Christ had to undergo. And yet, we are joint heirs with him. And Christ says, and in, in, when he's talking in Revelation, he says, if you overcome, I will grant that you could sit with me. He didn't say sit below me, like I'm the Lord and, and you, you know. He said you could share my throne. You could sit with me on my throne. Now that's unprecedented. That is, I talk about a reward for service. And I have to, it takes me back to the 2 Corinthians passage, 2 Corinthians 4, where he says, you know, it says, for our light and momentary troubles 
are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And, or we can look right in our own passage in Romans 8. Right? This is the one where, where, where we are. Right? We can look right there where it says, uh, I consider, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So you know, that I, I'm really trying to express how out of proportion what God has done for us in grace to, to what Christ actually under, he went through, what he under, he had to actually go through. He had to bear under the cross and all the suffering that he went through. And we didn't even talk about the fact that he was judged for every sin that we that the world would ever commit. Not just our age, but the whole world. And judge means punished. Like it says in Isaiah 53, 10 or so. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him and to cause him to suffer. That's the father punishing the son because of our sins. John said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, so when we think about that, this is what Paul is saying about us. This is why, we're, why are we reviewing this? Is because we, we, what do we say in response to these things? What, what is our response to what God has done for us? Let's keep going. That's point number three. So it says, where it says, we're co-heirs with Christ when we suffer. And I said, nowhere is this said of any believer or angel. Nowhere can any of this be said, that we're heirs of God. We can't compare ourselves to God. That's what, you know, when we read Isaiah, who, can, who is like God? Who can be said to be compared with him? Please don't make idols out of things, he said. Things on earth, things in heaven. Uh, don't try to say who I am, because it's hard for, for, for us to even understand who God is with human comp capabilities. Point number four, let's move forward. So then we, we arrive at Romans 8, 18 through 22. And then if, if your mind wasn't blown by now, oh, this just takes up, this is, this, we couldn't even figure words to describe what is being said. Eight, where it says, uh, I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And that is who we are, children of God. Remember, this is what it says. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God. So that's what the whole, it says the whole creation. It says in 18 that there's some glory that belongs to us. And then Isaiah, there's a scripture that says God will not share his glory with another. There is no body, no human being that is worthy of receiving the glory of God. No human being. But yet, because of the work God did through the baptism of the Spirit, God has not compromised that statement by allowing us to have glory. We are identified with the person of Christ who is God. So what is true of him is also true of us. Christ has glory. We 
have glory. Uh, I, this is in, we have just launched out of the stratosphere and we are literally in space now. We're out of this world. There's nothing that we could compare that God has even spoken of anywhere in the Old Testament or through any revelation that can match what he's telling us now. And he didn't violate because Christ is God. He is God. He is the God-man. And so the glory that is due him, well, this is the glory that is expected of us as well. We can look at Romans, uh, not Romans, John chapter 17 toward the end, and we can read about all that. So, but we're, we're focused now. So it demonstrates that we, this is what these verses demonstrate. I didn't read them all yet. Let me just read them. So for 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So those verses are, and I say, demonstrates that we, us, are integral to God's eternal purpose. I mean, I don't even, you know, we, we say these words so freely. And, you know, I think you're used to hearing me talk about God's eternal purpose right? as though this is something that's common. Well, it says it right there in Ephesians 3. This is God's eternal purpose, right? But when we examine these things, that the glory and impact of the children of God on the creation of the universe, it's astounding. I, I didn't put, our, put myself in the middle of this. God did. He said it. And it's astounding. So Paul says, now get this point. Paul says right up to the present time. In verse 22, he says, And we know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. What does he mean by that? Think about it. This is not some rhetoric of old that somebody has said. This integrates God's purpose to the now and to the eternal future. So in other words, he's saying that even though all of these things happened before time began, and we're, you know, we're, that creation, we're talking about all creation, this was the plan of God before time began. And we're a part of that. And now it's not like, well, God forgot about it or that wasn't significant. No, Paul says right up to the present time. Meaning this all fits. Even now, I'm standing here right now in my shoes, or my sandals, right up to the present time. And not only that, he talks about what will happen in our eternal future. So this is not something that God forgot about or that he said, oh, yeah, well, yeah, I didn't make you guys part of the eternal purpose. But, you know, it's, it's not all that. No, it is all that. He's saying that thing that happened before time began Paul says, yeah, right up to the present time, I'm still, I'm talking about it right now. It's been revealed and it will affect what will happen in the future. That's literally what he's saying. So can we dismiss these verses? No, it's about our destiny. I ask the question, who are we that we are so uh, integral, so center 
and the eternal purpose of God. Who are we? What is the what are the properties that underlie us that we have such hope? Which leads us to the next thought, Romans 8, 23 to 25. Right? That says not only so, right? Now we already talked about the whole creation been groaning, waiting for you know this time the children of God the freedom and the glory of the children of God the whole creation just was longing and waiting for it because it's in bondage subjected to frustration now guess what else now that we know this we who have the first fruits of the spirit now it's talking about us first fruits Pentecost right spirit that's the baptism of spirit couldn't be more clear thank you Paul we groan inwardly as, why are we groaning? Because it is a hope that's swelling up inside of us, causing us to long for and yearn after what God's eternal purpose for us is, that it be complete, that God will finish the work that he started in us. So, 23 says it literally. This is where we are, 23 to 25. We are given to know that it is God and he has us in the center of his eternal purpose. That's what we ought to know. And God has a hope. Now, now get this. You could say this is your hope, right? We talk about, oh, this is the hope that you should be thinking about. But really, this is not our hope. This is God's hope. This is what God thinks. This is what God is waiting for. He planned this. Not me. Not you. God did. And so when you talk about a hope, God is saying, I got a plan and I'm, I'm, I can't wait until I'm able to fully execute this plan. I can't, I just can't wait. I, I, I have to skip over to Ephesians because I always think about this one verse because I think Ephesians chapter one, I just think this is what God is saying here. It says, uh, he says, in him, this is one seven, in him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of his grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known unto us, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Here it is, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. This is God literally smiling as he sees the first generation of church-age believers. He's like, this is coming to fruition. I'm able to be, begin to call out those many sons that I chose in Christ before the creation of the world. Literally. So it's not my hope. It's God's hope. And what is God's hope saying? He has absolute confidence that he will bring us right on through so that we are standing with a resurrection body in the role that he planned for us from eternity past. So, so that, that he's, he, his hope is that his plan will be complete, that he will get what he wanted. Right? That's, that's the thought. It is not salvation, which we already have. Right? It is the hope that we were saved. Right? He says, in this hope, this is the next verse in Romans, in this hope we were saved. In other words, what hope is that? That's the hope God has himself. God himself has hope because this has not happened. It's not complete. He's not finished. 
but God knows he has absolute confidence that it will complete. So, so when I say it's God's hope, I don't mean to say we don't have this hope. We do. But our hope is coming to the knowledge of the truth and coming to yearn for it and, and to understand that this is about us and to come to the place where we now have that same hope within us. Because in this hope, we were saved. This is the reason why God brought us on the scene saved us after we believed in Christ, and now we come to know that he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless before him. So that, so what else do I say about this is God has hope, and that's absolute confidence that his plan will be complete. It is not salvation, which we already have. It is in this hope we were saved. That's verse 24. We share in this hope with God. God has allowed us to share in the same hope that he had before time began. So what happens? We groan inwardly. We do too. And that means that we have that same longing that God has. Why do we have that? Because we see what God has done. We've connected the dots. We put them all together. We see the direct statements about us being heirs of God and so forth and so on. So, let's keep going. Romans Romans uh, 6, that was, num- that was point number 5. So, uh, point number 6, Romans 8, 26 and 27. And, and we already, uh, we con- recently we covered this, Romans 8, where it talks about the Holy Spirit. Let's read it. 8, 26 and 27. And he who searches the hearts, I'm sorry, 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Now, what do I think about this? This is not just... Imagine who we are, right? Just imagine who we are. Imagine how fragile... We are. And, I mean, it's just that James said, our life is like a vapor, a puff of smoke. Right now we see it, but then it's gone. Just imagine what our 60, 70, 80, 90 years, 100 years is to God. It's like a puff of smoke. And not only that, it's fragile. We, I mean, we, it's like walking around and we're the egg. We could be cracked at any moment. So it's not walking on eggshells. No, we are the ones that could or could be could leave here. People are leaving here daily. So think about it. Uh, in our ignorance and weakness, God the Holy Spirit takes up the battle for us. He's protecting us, providing for us on the battlefield. We have a special protection given that we are central to the plan and that's for this ministry nowhere does it say that anybody has such a ministry not only is the holy spirit within us but he also pleads our case to the father on he he intercedes on our behalf that is literally even though we don't even know we don't even have the capacity to see or understand what's happening we don't even know what we ought to pray for and not only that we're weak 
we're frail. We don't we don't have the full capacity to understand the attacks and the warfare that is going on all around us. You know, it, it, it is something that God, the Holy Spirit, says, look, those are my sons. Those are my children. Those are the ones who affect all things that we've been talking about. So I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to make sure that they are protected in this way. This, so that's a ministry that we have that is unique, and it is an awesome ministry that God, we don't even have to think about it, because we don't know. Nobody can say, well, what did the Holy Spirit pray? None of, nobody can say, because it didn't say what the Holy Spirit prays. It's our ignorance and our weakness that he, he shoulders. And you know, that, <coughs> that just talks about the integration of the Holy Spirit with our persons. Literally, he takes up our battles now. He's part of who we are. So the, the care and concern, comprehension of, of care, comprehensive care, is being uh, taken care even though we don't know about it. God is attending to us because of our identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just imagine if, uh, if Job who was in the Old Testament, had none of this, none of it, had a hedge of angels around him. So God said to Satan, go ahead, Satan, touch him. Satan said, I can't touch him. You got a hedge of angels around him. How am I supposed to get to Job? Listen, that was Old Testament. They were precious to God. What about us? What about, what does God have in protection for us in this world? that we can fulfill his purposes. I, I could say it must be 10 times more. Jesus said when Peter pulled out his sword and in the garden of Gethsemane and he, he whacked off Malchus's ear and, and Peter, uh, the Lord said, Peter, put up your sword. Don't you know I could call a legion of angels if I needed to? I'm not worried about what, these, what can happen to me on the ground. God is, God is in control of this. A legion of angels. That's There's no way that God is going to let anything happen to you here that he does not allow. So just think about it. Think about it. We'll, we'll get to more of this later as we get to what in all creation can, can separate us. Nothing. We'll, we'll, we'll get to those verses. Let's move on to the thoughts here. And, and the next one, uh, this is Romans 8, 28 through 30. So 8, 20, we covered these verses, in fact, in the last two weeks. And we know that in all things, God works for the good right, of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What is God telling us when he says this? God shares with us, get this, the milestones and his eternal purpose. Well, God sees the highlights of, of what he wanted, right? He, said, he says, okay, here's how I'm going to bring many sons into glory. He has his plan. He lays it out. And that plan, 
begins when he creates all things. He creates the universe. But he's sharing with us things that he already planned to do prior to him creating the universe. So he even shares events that happened before creation. Ephesians 1.4, for, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. He says before time began, right? In 1 Corinthians 2.7, he says it again. He says, uh, this wisdom, and he's talking about wisdom already, was destined for our glory before time began. Time began with the creation of the universe. Literally, he's sharing with us, me, me, Doug, something that happened before the universe was created. I mean, those foreknown, chosen, predestined, justified, glorified, that's like a chain that cannot be broken. That's us. And God is saying, there's a clear path to how I'm going to bring you on the scene and to bring you to glorification. That is the full plan and purpose that God had in his heart before time began for me. Yeah, this is, this is something that... Um, we can't put into words unless we continue to think about them, meditate on them. And so this is, we will develop a wisdom that we are able to now articulate. Like I said, these are things that um, unless you have God, the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't understand it. So let's go to, let's keep going because we got a lot more to cover and it is, yeah, we have about 15 minutes. So what is, what is our, point number B in our notes, what is our response to these things? And I've been saying it all along, wow. I mean, wow. And we might, I have three explanation marks after this, so let's say it again. Wow. I don't know what else to say. Do you have any words bigger than that? Can you think of any? Then you ought to use them right now, because this is, this is what God is asking. What do we say? in response to what he has done. Well, obviously, we thankfulness is our response. We're appreciative. And not just those things, but it should motivate us now. We should, like it says, we should have hope. Right? So so one point to know, <clears throat> this, this thought, the thought is for us to know these things and to have the reality to respond, we have to have God, the Holy Spirit, he must reveal them to us. Because we couldn't have known this information unless God the Holy Spirit led us into this truth. There's no way you can investigate this otherwise. It's just not possible. So God the Holy Spirit is the agent that got us here. And he's a part of who we are now. we got to start learning to cooperate with his leading in our life. So even, so it says, um, I, you know, for we must, for us to know these things, we have uh, and have the reality to respond. Because you, to res the response means, that means you got to understand what it is God gave us. Uh, God, the Holy Spirit, must reveal those things to us, even though they are in the world, right? right? That even now, so John 16, 12, and 13 says, Christ told them he had much more to tell them, more than they could now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he would guide them into all truth. So there, Christ 
could have said, I have a lot more to tell you. Wow. You would, it would blow your mind. You wouldn't be able to handle it. You wouldn't be able to contain it. It wouldn't make, it wouldn't make any sense to you until the spirit comes. But when he comes, he will lead and guide you in all truth. First Corinthians two, six and seven. Let's look at this real quick. First Corinthians two, six and seven. We read, we do have or speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of the, this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. This is us. No other creature, no other uh, angel, nothing could stand in this place. This is us. This is what God chose us for from the beginning. And then 9 and 10, these are things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Notice, by his spirit. That's important. This is not something, and, and if you reject the Spirit, you will find yourself on the outs when it comes to this information. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. These are what God has said are deep. Now, God has levels. This is, you can say, oh, we have the milk of the Word, we have the intermediate, and then we have the deep things of God. These are the deep things of God. This is what God considers deep. He's just letting you in on it. That's not what I consider deep. It's what God considers deep for him. These are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge which he has, fat, he has placed in Christ. He is hidden in Christ. So, it is through only through God the Holy Spirit that all of this is possible. None of this has come about as a result of us in any way whatsoever. We have to be beholden to the, the provisions that God has given us in this world. It, it is, I mean, his perfect provision to be able to, you can't even talk about these things unless you have allowed the spirit to lead and guide you and that is truth. And, and if you want to find out, just go look around and talk to other believers and ask them what's most important to them. What is the, the, the deep things of God? Ask them, what is the deep things of God? Let them respond. Don't try to tell them what the deep things of God are. Just ask them what they think it is. And you could read that verse in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 2.7. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Ask them, what is that wisdom? What do you think it is? Even Don't, don't put them on the spot. Just ask them what they think it is. Well, if they say, oh, I never considered that verse. Okay, that's their answer. But God, the Holy Spirit, his objective since Pentecost is to lead the church into all truth. This truth. This truth. And why aren't people talking about the most fantastic thing that ever happened in this world? So, point number C. Your response will be determined by your hope. Do you have that yearning? That longing? Do you have it in your, the hope that is that God is, which is his hope, and it, it becomes our hope when we understand it. We allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us into all that truth. That was Paul's response. Paul said, I had it. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly. He says, others have it too. It's not just me. Because they understand that this is their destiny. 
this is the, not just their destiny, but this is the Father's eternal purpose. This is what all things are all about. Let's continue. Point number two. So, to integrate, so what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's a song, too, by the way. And it just reminds me of that when, when, I, uh, when I recite these words. I won't sing it. Don't worry. I, I know some people were just getting ready to adjust their volume. But anyway, let's get into it. So if God is for us, who can be against us? So Paul is answering his own question. But his answer is not to say, wow, man, isn't that? He already gave us that when he says that we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await. He's already told us what he thinks about these things. He can't wait until these things are being fulfilled. That's what, that's what he's saying about it. That's his answer, which we will see later. So, so the first thing, let's look. God is for us. Let's look at this part. If God is for us. And look, it's not if God is for us. It's really since God is for us. There's no doubt that God is for you. So really, this if means since he is for us. He already is. And there's no doubt about it. So the question is, who then or who can be against us? Since you already know this truth, let's pivot off of that and say, who can... And we already told you what the Holy Spirit is doing, protecting us and taking even the weaknesses that we don't even know that are happening in the battle and interceding on our behalf to God. We, we don't even know what we ought to pray for. So if God is doing all of this for us. He's baptized us in the Spirit, made us sons. All creation has been waiting for us to be complete in God. Right? This is this is it. Then we are. This is God being for us. So while we're in this world, it doesn't matter how lowly you are. In other words, you might think I'm insignificant. What do I do? I stay home. The pandemic is going on. I can't even go out the house. What? Well, how am I making a difference? I mean, all this talk about who I am, and when I look at my life, what do I do? I go to work like everyone else. I do this, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not any different. Well, well, no, remember, you're not ordinary. Not with a heritage and an inheritance like this. You are not ordinary. So, so you can't think about it. It doesn't matter what your lifestyle is or what's going on in your life or what station. You could be poor. And you could be rich. It doesn't matter. You could be middle class. It, it doesn't matter where you are in this world. These things are true of you. It doesn't matter even what the world thinks about you. You could be the worst person. You could be in, in the lowest prison in the world. And if you're saved in this age, then yes, all of these things are true of you. And that's what First John 3, 1 and 2, right? Uh, let me just read it real quick, says... Uh, 3, 1 John 3, 1 and 2. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Now, remember we said, oh, people think, oh, yeah, children of God, that's nothing, right? No, that's that's big. That's Don't shake, don't just walk away from that statement. You need to be embracing that as, as something that is the highest calling that any creature could have 
to be a child of God. What does it mean? And if then children, then we are heirs, heirs of God. Don't just say you're children of God and that and that's for everybody. And, and, and John says, and that is what we are, emphatically. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. See, the world, don't expect the world to define or don't expect your rewards to be coming from the world or that they should appreciate what God has done for you from eternity. They won't see any of this. They will think you are the most lowly person. In fact, that you're going to be hated because of who Christ is. Not loved. It'll be the opposite for you. You're going to suffer in this world. Not be lauded. And, and you know, people will think so much of you. It's going to be the opposite for you. But you got to think about this information is what God thinks about you. Now, that should give you more confidence and assurance Forget about what this world, I mean, this world is going to be destroyed. The only redeemable thing in this world are the souls of those people who are here. That's it. Christ died for them, and they can have a choice to believe in Christ. That's up to them. But other than that, there's everything else will be destroyed. This world is getting worse and worse. So don't worry about what the world thinks of you. Worry about what God thinks of you. That will endure throughout eternity. Point number B, with all that is going on for us, we must know that God's eternal purpose is moving forward. So don't expect coronation to happen just yet. In other words, don't look at this as, okay, uh, I saw, all the, I read all these scriptures, and now I'm looking for somebody to put the king's crown on my head and to have this huge ceremony about who I am not yet it's not happening just yet not in this world that is that is not going to happen it's in the world to come so in Philippians you saw Christ he lived in this world none of that happened for him but he suffered under a cross a cruel cross and he was mocked and shamed in this world. But then God highly exalted him. Gave him a name that was above every name. The name of Jesus. Every knee should bow. Every tongue should confess. On and on. He's Lord. So all of that is Christ. The same thing, right? You're in the world. Don't expect this world to treat you any different. John 15, it says, Don't be surprised if the world hates you. Just know, it's not because of you, it's because of me that the world hates you. And then, Ephesians 1, let's look at that, 9 and 10. I know I know you know these verses, but by look, looking at the different applications is interesting. It says, he, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring all uh, unity to all things. In heaven and on earth under Christ. So that under Christ is also under us because we are his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Ephesians 1 23. So that's that's the timing of this. So don't get the big head. Yeah, running around telling people who you are. They're gonna laugh at you. They're gonna say it's foolishness, ridiculous. So let's look at this. So, so you ought to know God is for you. Listen, you're in a world of opposition, first of all. You ought to know 
God is for you. This is what God thinks of you, and this is what your destiny will be. There's no changing that. This is going to happen for us. So let's move forward. So point C is who then can be against us? Who can be against us? Well, this, let's list uh, some opposing forces in, that could be against us. Let's talk about it. One is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Right? Those things can be against us for sure. There's no doubt. Right. So 1 John 2.15, it talks about it. That the, the world is against us. Let's, why don't we read it? I, I guess we'll take the time. 1 John chapter 2, 15 and 16 says here, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the uh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever, right? Is eternal. That's that's what you that could the world's against you. We already talked about it. the world hating you. Don't be surprised. So yeah, who can be against us? Well, the world can be against us. And then Satan as well. He's the ruler of this age. That's that's what we need to consider. And then when I say Satan's against us, look look at this. Second Corinthians is something that you need to make sure you integrate. Second Corinthians chapter four and verses four through six. Let's look at it. Four, you know. It says, well, let's read three. And if our and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Now listen to this. He has blinded the minds of unbelievers. What do we mean blinded them? Unless people, people have always related this to salvation. I just want you to know how this verse develops. Watch. He's blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It's not just talking about the fact that Christ is the image of God. It's, it's the whole age that we're talking about, the glories of what Christ, his destiny will be, and not only his destiny, but ours too. The greatest thing that ever happened. Satan is trying to blind the minds of unbelievers so that they can't see this light of the of the gospel, right? The good news, but there's a light of the gospel. That's what it is. The light that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So let's keep reading. For what we preach is not ourselves, not about us, it's but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6 caps it. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Here it is made his light to shine, made his light shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. There, it unites that verse, which Satan is behind trying to hide this from the world. He doesn't want, he's the ruler of this world. He doesn't want people to see what God has planned for this world. What, who is the next ruler? 
and what God has planned in the mystery. He doesn't want the world to see any glimpses of that. So he has hid this. He has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So the world's going to say, you're crazy. You're nuts. You, you, you need help. And yet, this, these things are absolutely so. So Satan's against us. The world is against us. That's who can be against us. But num point number two, we'll go through this. Mainly, the real deal that Paul's talking about, which will be borne out in the context to, in, in the future, he's talking about the Jews or Israel. And this is what we get in Romans eleven twenty eight. As far as the gospel is concerned, they, who's they? The Jews, Israel, are enemies for your sakes. Well, they're against you. And you can know it was the Jews that instigated and got Christ on the cross. It was the Jews who dogged every step of the, the apostles after, persecuted them, killed James, and on and on. Yeah, it was the Jews. They're, they hated the church because um, they just, here, here, that leads us to the next point. Not only so, but those same words are used of Israel. You know, but for a different purpose. What words? Foreknown, chosen, predestined, right? Justified, glorified. Those same words were used for Israel. And you can look at Romans eleven twenty eight. Here's a good, good example of it. Romans eleven, and and we're going to get to much more of this when we get to through Romans eight. We'll get right to Romans nine because that's where Paul begins to develop. That he, yeah, he was really thinking about Israel. So we'll get to it. So Romans 11, 28, 29 says, As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. The election happened before time began. God chose Israel too. Not just you, but our choosing is the reason why all things for, that's God's eternal purpose. But before that, he set up Israel. Yeah, For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. So that's how you have to understand the fact of who would be against us. Israel! You're going to tell me that Gentiles are called? We're the chosen people, not them. We're not letting them into our body. No way. Unless they convert to Judaism, that's what they're going to have to do. Israel, it could be against us. And that's what we, Paul, will deal with. So a couple more ways that we could see people, something being, what is against us? Point number three. Uh, actually, that was point number three. <laughs> point number four, and the last point. Who can be against us? You, believer, can be against us. How? When I say us, we can be against ourselves? Yes, we can. Uh, if we're going to answer the question, let's see. We could being childish and not taking your place in the battle. So Ephesians 4.14 is the scripture that hope, hopefully you get to see what I mean. How you can be against us. Right? What's us, right? Uh, the plan that God has for us, right? Who can be against it? So Ephesians 4.14, it says, instead of growing up and reaching... Right? The knowledge of the Son of God and becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What could happen? Uh, then we will no longer be infants. And what, are happen what happens with infants? They are tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there 
by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So this is what can happen to believers. They can be ignorant and they can be against us because they didn't grow up. That's So they're not for us, they're against us. Let's look at and also 1 Corinthians 2.14. Our believers, again, he's referring to here. Let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 2 and 14. It says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, folly, stupid, and cannot understand them because, because they are discerned only through the Spirit. In other words, like we said earlier, you can't know this information unless the Spirit of God leads you into all truth. You can't even know it. So verse 14, just to know, is integrated with verse 13. Let's read verse 13. This, what is we talking about? That which is freely given us, the deep things of God, things that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither have they entered into the hearts of man. Paul says this, in verse 13, is what we speak. This is what we teach. This is our conversation. This is the wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught us by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Notice how spiritual you need to be in order to understand these things. Paul said, not only that, this is what we speak. We're already there. We talk about this stuff. This is our conversation. But in verse 14, he says, well, the person without spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God. You know, he rejects them. And, but it can, and what does he think about them? He considers them foolishness and he cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. So, you, being childish, you believer, can be against us. When you look around at other churches, when you look around at the landscape of Christianity today, they are not talking about these things. Not every, There are some, obviously, I'm sure, but they are not talking about these things. And if you talk about them, you know what they're going to say about you? Foolishness. Foolishness. So, that's who can be against us. We're going to have to quit. Time is, oh, I went over almost by 10 minutes. Let's bow our heads and we'll close. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being called from eternity past. To be chosen, selected, to be in him before the creation of the world. Thank you for that statement that says, therefore, if any man, if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Father, we thank you. We appreciate your selecting. Your, we appreciate your sovereign grace in choosing us in this manner. We didn't ask. All we know is what your actions were for us before time began. Father, help us to keep our mind focused on things above, not on things on this earth. Thank you for those who've joined us. We pray for wisdom as we continue to ferret out the things that you have shown us. 
about our destiny and about your eternal purpose. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.